Hello there and welcome to Community Life. Here we talk with the community experts about their life journeys and how they came into the community world. And you might know who he is, but don't know who he might be. He talks a lot about fostering B2B communities. He makes it easy. And today he talks to me to share his life experience with others just like you and me. So welcome. Today we have a conversation with a pro surfer Kingmaker, B2B community show host, and the chief executive connector, Pablo Gonzalez. Hello, Pablo. Let's go, Yuri. What an intro, bro. I got goosebumps, man. Like, I'm usually the guy giving people an intro like that. Amazing. I I'm not a pro surfer. I'm a pretty crappy surfer, but I surf a lot. <laughs> we, will, we will talk about it later, but let's yeah. start from, with this first question. What is your favorite karaoke song? Oof, uh, that's easy, man. Uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart uh, by Bonnie Tyler. I completely ripped off. I don't know if you've ever seen Old School, but there's a scene in, in Old School where uh, they're at a wedding and the wedding band is singing Total Eclipse of the Heart and he gets like really mm. vulgar with it. Like he, he gets like over overly into it uh, from a, a band called the Dan Band. That's like a one of these like joke rock bands that I really love, kind of like a Tenacious D or Flat of the Concords. And I've started doing that the moment i saw it and ever since then i've probably performed that song uh at least a hundred times and i get more outrageous with it every time and i feel very confident in my ability to interrupt the room when i'm doing it <laughs> nice well that was a really easy one so let's start let's go to the easiest one sure. let's start from the beginning and tell me about your parents who are they oh man this is awesome um My dad is Cuban. He left Cuba in the early days of the Cuban Revolution and came to Miami at 14 years old and had to completely, you know, his family had to completely start from zero, right? Like my grandfather had a pharmaceutical company with, you know, medical patents in, in Cuba. And he had to, from one day to the next, leave Cuba, leave everything behind and start from zero. So my father, imagine that, right? Imagine that, I guess you can empathize with this complete disruption of your lifestyle, right? Like at 14 years old, having grown up on like a paradise of an island, had to show yeah. up to America and figure out, be, be worried about where his next meal was going to be, right? A complete pattern interrupt of, of a lifestyle. And he has since graduated college, moved to Venezuela and became an international, very successful businessman and a very, a man of very high integrity. Uh, and uh, a guy that I really, really admire very, very much. Luckily for me, I was the youngest of three. So by the time that he was, by the time I was, you know, eight, nine years old, my dad was already a pretty well-off individual that had his own schedule. So he got to be like my baseball coach and soccer coach and stuff like that. Played tennis. I always wanted to be like him. So I, I grew up playing tennis. Um, and yeah, I just, I just, a, a a guy that has the highest degree of ethical character and work ethic and self-reliance that you could possibly imagine and with a, you know, old Hispanic guy temper, which is hilarious. Right? <laughs> um, my mom is, my mom is the oldest of six and grew up in, in, you know, my, my Venezuelan grandfather, also a very fascinating guy who grew up in the countryside, the oldest of some like eight or nine brothers or something, brothers and sisters, he grabbed his second youngest brother and said, we're moving to the city to Caracas and I'm going to be a doctor and you're going to be a lawyer and we're going to freaking do this. Um, and he 
established, you know, he established himself really well. And my mom grew up as the oldest of six, as uh, as the mother hen figure of everybody in her family um, that takes care of everybody. My mom is the the ultimate connector, man. Like when I, the older I get, the more I realize I'm, I want to be just like my mom. She's the, she's the type of person that the, the story I like to tell was last Christmas, 2021, kind of the last wave of COVID really just, I, I guess, I guess I don't know. Cause COVID seems to be coming back. Right. But, um, the last Christmas we were all getting together for the first time in a bigger than just like the small family gathering of 2020. And, it hit us like two days before Christmas that we should all take at-home COVID tests just in case. And nobody had any. So my sister and I went on this like crazy adventure through Miami, like showing up at every pharmacy, every pharmacy as soon as it opened to see if they had a test. And we found one and they only sold us two. So we went back and changed clothes and got another two, right? Like it was a whole odyssey. My mom literally the day before was like, no, 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 I've got a, I've got my friend at the CVS on you know, this street and that street, she's going to call me like at 3 p.m. tomorrow. I'm good. I'm like, mom, mom, come on. Don't be ridiculous. Like this lady has everybody in her network asking her for these tests. You think she's going to give you, you think she's going to give you a test? You think you really? So, so much after, after we mock her. So my in-laws are in town. I'm out at this like Fairchild Tropical Garden with my, with my mother and father-in-law, with my, with my wife. And all of a sudden I get a call at 3 p.m. And it's my mom and her two sisters on speakerphone in the car cracking up like ah, we got six of them ah, just like shut up so she's that type of person she's best friends with everybody that she meets she is always thinking of others she's always taking care of everybody and um you know she is uh she is where i she's definitely where i get that bug from right like this like affinity for service she started a nonprofit in in miami when i was a little kid um and and recently I got to speak to her nonprofit about the stuff that I did in, in the nonprofit world in Miami uh, in my 30s. And it was just an amazing full circle thing to, to, to be able to do that stuff, right? So I have a great relationship with both of them. They've been married for, um, I think they just had their, uh, they just had a major anniversary. They just had their like 40th wedding anniversary, right? Like we're a very tight family and I'm, I'm really, really lucky to have grown up supported by both of them. Yeah, it sounds so amazing, you know. So it's yeah, magical, so lucky. Man. Yeah, and Very lucky. Uh, once once you wrote, so I'm what you would call a mama's boy. Can you explain it a little? Yeah, yeah, man. In uh, in Hispanic culture, the there is a there is like a double standard of men and women. Right. Uh, as I'm sure other cultures in the world experience this, I can I can speak to my own culture and generally the you know, I, I had however you want to put it, the benefit, the not benefit, whatever, whatever it is that shaped my that shaped my my worldview of being the youngest and being a boy creates for. It's very enabled to be like the baby that I'm going to always take care of and that I'm always kind of like do things for. And, and, um, you know, it's got some, it's got some downsides, man, but I choose to really embrace it. Right. Like I, I, I see that the, I'm very, very affectionate with my mom. Right. Like I, I like I'll hold her hand in public. Like I'll, like I'll hug her and kiss her and, 
you know, and I, and I love to flatter her and, and, and make her feel as good as possible. Cause she has made me feel as, as special as, as possible her entire life. So I would say, when I say I'm a mama's boy, I mean, um, that my mom is, you know, one of the, the most special people in my life and, and has shaped the core of who I am. And, and I'm extremely, extremely grateful for it. So I'm happy to, I'm happy to take the good with the bad of, of you know, how soft I might be <laughs> um, based on, based on this like wonderful environment of nurture that I grew up around that was orchestrated by my mother being what, you know, nowadays is probably considered a, is for sure considered a helicopter parent and like all these other things. But I, I very much feel, I feel a deep sense of gratitude to, to that relationship and, and who she is and, and who she has, uh, you know, influenced me to be. What can make you cry? <laughs> I'm about to cry right now, bro. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm feeling it. That's why I'm asking, you know? So yeah, it's, it's, it's you really need, I, deep. Yeah, man, I don't, this is, I guess this, I don't know if we're, it's weird to go this deep right now, but like, I, you know enough about my story to know that I lost my brother, uh, like eight and a half years ago. And, um, we, the joke with my brother was that he would always cry in public, right? Like he is, he, like, he was like a, like a, such a loving dude that he would get, he would, his emotions would overcome him. And we would always joke around that when he first announced my, that his oldest daughter was that, that his wife was pregnant with his firstborn, uh, Belen, my goddaughter, uh, he cried like the first 10 times he said it to anybody. Right. So we'd always make fun of him for this stuff. Like I remember my, 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 my speech at his, at his, at my wedding talking about how, like, you know, cause he was my best man talk about how, like the things I've learned from him and the things You know, and one of those things is that that it's okay to cry in public kind of thing. And I never, I was never that dude. <laughs> and I gotta say, man, over the last, like, over the last four years, I have completely become that guy that allows for my emotions to, you know, overwhelm me and, 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 and come out via tear ducts. And I don't know if it's, I, I, I don't know if it's the realization that after, you know, 30 plus years of figuring out who I was in comparison to not being him. And now understanding that my main goal is to be remembered the way that I remember him, or it's just something that happens in, you know, at, at a certain age in life, or just, um, you know, this entrepreneurial journey is tough, man. And, uh, and I feel like I've got a, I feel like I've got a being committed to being yourself all the time requires a certain level of energy and emotional output that is easy to get overwhelmed by man and it's easy to it's easy to get overwhelmed both by the sense of like wonderfulness of it all and it's easy to get overwhelmed by the sense of like i ain't shit <laughs> you know of, of it all and um i don't know man i don't know i've in the last in the last four years or so um i i find myself crying over you know how much i love my family mm -hmm. how, how how much i you know my my brother um crying over gratefulness i guess i i and i never really identified this until you asked me this question but it but it's really there like i feel 
I feel extremely, extremely fortunate to to have the life circumstances that have put me where I'm at right now. And I and I think that that I, I I've embraced I've embraced that I've embraced the the serendipity of it and the you know the idea that I'm not any more worthy than anybody else of this and the and because of it that I'm just really gonna freaking go for it, man. And I think I think it's it's something that fuels me in a good way. You wrote uh, that being the youngest means you get more than siblings and your siblings are two of the biggest reasons of who you are. Yeah. Tell me please more about your brother and sister. Thanks, man. This is awesome. Uh, <laughs> uh, man, I, uh, I'll start with my brother since we went there, right? Um, my brother was eight and a half years older than me. And as a as as a guy that you know as a younger brother that has that much distance right i like to say that distance creates perspective like without distance there is no perspective i had the good fortune of watching him you know by by the time i was like eight nine years old right you really start remembering stuff right so i had the i had the good fortune of watching what got him in trouble um <laughs> what uh And, and it influenced me in a way that, that made him almost kind of like my like anti-North star, right? Like I, I distinctly remember him not getting good grades in college. So having to like go into the room with my parents to like get the belt, right? Um, I remember him graduating college and moving back home because he was in love with his, his wife who became, who became his wife, uh, my sister-in-law, Betty. Um, and just like getting a job in Miami and then kind of like floundering around for a while because he didn't get a job out of like college that puts him on a specific track, right? He like came home to look at the newspaper to see where he could get a job. Um, I remember him having kids early, you know, like right after getting married and thinking, man, that really kind of puts a, puts a limit to the things that you can try and, and, and test and, and do things early in life. Right. So, so I say this to say that for a really long time, my brother was almost like the anti-North star of my life. Right. Like, like, uh, like I loved him. I was his best man. He was my best man. But, um, but until he got sick, I didn't, um, I didn't, I didn't look to the, the wonderful things about him that I could learn from. Right. I looked at, I looked at the downsides um, and, and unnecessarily compared myself to it. Right. Like I, so Needless to say this, that when, when my brother passed and he, you know, he struggled with pancreatic cancer for two years, passed away and uh, 1200 people showed up to his funeral. It was a completely transformative moment in my life. Um, it was this, this moment where a, I, this is what really drove home the value of community for me, right? Like I looked around and I thought to myself that these people inside this Catholic church, um, you know, they're not my religion. They're my community, right? Like they are the people, they're the people that have shown up for the last two years and, you know, help his kids go to school and help my mom, you know, like through what she was going through and all these different things. And no matter how I felt about the Catholic church, my Catholic upbringing, which I've had my ins and outs with that I, that I was never going anywhere from this community. Right. Like, so that was the first time that I started seeing community as a business model, as like a way to solve for churn and, and whatnot. But more importantly, 
everybody that everybody that came up to me um afterwards and this happened for the better part of a year right like people hitting me up on facebook people coming to the like showing up to my parents house to be like i had to meet bert and bert's parents and and his brother and um to tell them this and it was every every single time it was you know bert my brother bert right um is a guy is a guy that whenever i came into a room i knew that i would if he was there, I was going to feel like I belonged in that room. He was going to look out for me. He was going to make me feel connected. And, um, and I'll never forget him for it. And, um, you know, that's, that is, that is the thing that I've always most valued. And it's always something that I've, that I've strived to be. And, and it washed over me that I never, you know, that I had never given him credit for it. So, so it immediately opened up my eyes to like, what else am I missing in other people and how much everybody else has value. And, and, and man, I'll tell you, it was probably about three years ago that I really realized that it really hit me that um, as much as I used to use them as a nine North star, this, that the, the way that my brother, the way that I remember my brother is exactly um, the legacy that I want. Right. So just a, described himself always as a tragic hero, right? Like he was, he was a guy that would always take a bullet for somebody else would always get beat up for somebody like literally, right? Like, um, not, not literally take a bullet, but literally get beat up for other, for his friends or, 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 or whatnot growing up. And, you know, I see his, I see his entire journey and, and everything. And even in his passing as the fulfillment of his destiny in that he saw himself as a tragic hero he went through a giant struggle that has informed all of us and has made us all better people and has left us all in a, in a, in a better place that we were before because of the lessons that he taught us. Um, so I just, you know, I, I, I would always at, at my, at my wedding speech, I said, he was the guy that influenced me the most um, in the sense that I would like, I was peg like what I want to be as a man by what he is but I meant it in a negative way. And I still feel that way, except I mean it in a positive way. And, and I, and I feel closer to him than ever. Right. Like I feel, I turned 42 this year, which is the year that he passed. And uh, yeah, I've just never felt closer to him than I do right now. And just a, a great, great dude. My sister, <laughs> if, if my brother is the guy that most, that has most shaped me, my sister is the the girl that has most shaped me. Right. Like, cause Cause I grew up in this like Spanish double standard, right? Like my sister who's four years older than me got to watch her first rated R movie the day I got to, when she took me to go see it. Right. So like, and like stuff that I would get in trouble for, for like, you know, messing around with girls and stuff like that. She would have been like banished to like a nunnery um, if, if, if she caught with it. Right. So um, it really informed it's really informed my view of the dynamic between men and women, which I think is really, really important. I always find myself uh, connecting with guys that have older sisters in a, in a special way. Uh, Cause I think it, it adds this, like it adds this certain level of balance to how you approach the opposite sex that you a had a woman in the house and B it was a woman in the house that could beat you up. Right. <laughs> so, so you have this like <laughs> real, real respect. Um, 
And, and today my, my sister has, my sister has grown up to fulfill her destiny too, man. You know, like even, even in this Hispanic double standard, she was always raised to be a, a great mother and a great wife. And, and she is right. Like she, she is, she is uh, like my mom, like a typical mother hen that takes care of everybody else and, and loves that role, including me, you know, she, including me, right. She is, she's one of my biggest confidants at, at the moment you know, at the darkest moments of my, of, of my journey, uh, with, with like my wife and going through hard things there. Like I, I, I give my sister the credit for really giving me and my wife the perspective of just like, you know, we're really all in this together. And I don't think I've ever shared this, but like, I, I, I would say that she is, she really is the person that when I'm, when I'm lost, she's like the she's the guidepost um and there was a moment where okay there was a there was a moment where we were 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 saying goodbye to my brother right like he he passed on january 3rd and we had this like really special moment where on christmas night that he was just like in hospice in between kind of like coming and going and we knew that it was close to the end so we were gathered around the bed and and um, saying our goodbyes. And, um, you know, my sister said something at that point that, that really illustrates this idea that she's my guidepost. And she said, she said that she was sure uh, that she was going to get to see him again. And she knew that not everybody in that room believed that. But, but she believed enough for, for anybody there. And that was me, man. You know, like I really, I really needed her to be that strong and to be that clear, um, to believe that at that moment. And I, and I really did at that moment, and I really do now. So, you know, I don't, I don't think I've ever phrased it that way. But she really is, she, she really is the person that many times in my life, when I'm like veering too much from like my delusions of grandeur or escapism from, from, you know, like I'm, I'm like a born rebel. Right. So like, I've always tried to like escape whatever paradigm I'm at, whenever I'm getting too close to the edge, she's always the person that brings me back to my center. And, uh, and I absolutely adore her for her, for it. She's awesome. And, she, and she's fucking hilarious. <laughs> like she, <laughs> right? like there's nobody that can insult me the way that she insults me in a funnier way. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is also one of how I judge my friendships with people. <laughs> wow. How, 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 do, how does it work? So you tell her about you or she just follows you? So, man, I think she just knows, man. Like she just, I think my sister honestly knows me better than anybody in the world knows me, right? Like my sister knows my shadow like nobody else. <laughs> right. So when I'm, when I'm giving away to that shadow too much, she senses it and she knows it and she knows exactly what to say to bring me back into the light, man. I don't know how to, I don't know how to explain it except for serendipity and, and connection. Once again, you know, rap lyrics, it reminded me of this uh, song, I need a doctor by Eminem and Dr. Dre. So it's like this kind of moment. So, yeah, just 
it's, it's, it's hard for me to speak after you what you've told, you know, because so many emotions and it's like, it's a really precious moment. So thank you very much for it. Thanks. Thanks for holding the space for it. Man. I, uh, I appreciate being able to share this with you. I have this also vulnerable question, but you told about your brother, like some kind of Antenor star before. Mm-hmm. Have you ever thought what make what made you think that way? Somebody told you that he's like a negative example, or it was some kind of your inner decision? So what was what what is what? Uh, I don't know, man. No, I haven't. I haven't really considered that. I don't. Nobody ever really told me it was a negative example. Um, I would say I would say it's some combination of. I'm born a pretty competitive dude. And I also I'm born to I I guess this like combination of being the youngest and a mama's boy and all these other things, right? Like I see I seek comfort, right? And and seeing the uncomfortable things that uncomfortable situations that he put himself in at certain times. Um, you know, just inf- informed me on that type of stuff. And I think it probably over-informed me, right? Like it, it I, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of this way to like, I've got a cousin that's, uh, that's like 10 years younger than me that I've always just kind of like been that kind of figure, right? Like him and his brother, who is, who's, um, who's, I, I guess they're, they're kind of like my brother and my sister, right? Like, I think I'm like five years older than one and eight years older than the other. And I, and I see a lot, I see some of that in them, right? Like I see a lot of just like, when you speak to somebody whose brain hasn't really formed yet about the things of your brain forming, especially early in life, they get over-informed by this stuff. And they're, and they're able to like, if it's a positive thing, you'll over lean into it. If it's a negative thing, you'll overly go away from it. So, so I think I see, I think seeing those, seeing those, those dynamics play out. And, and specifically, right, like specifically, like the three things that I described, the idea that um, the idea that getting bad grades in college uh, was going to was, was going to get you the belt. Um, the idea that not getting a job out of grad school was um, was going to limit your career path. And the idea that getting married young at times of frustration made it seem like a, like a limiting factor to, to like really pursuing something else that you would have liked to have done. Those things, you know, really stuck with me. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to reconcile it all now. Right. Like I, I, I think he married the love of his life. I think he, it, w- without it, I wouldn't have my like two nieces and, and my, and my nephew who are the freaking coolest people in the world that I have a very, very close relationship to. And, uh, you know, and he passed away telling me that I needed to have kids. Right? Like He's like, he's like, dude, you got to do this, man. It's awesome. Like, yeah, you know, and, and, and marry the love of your life. Like I did. Right. Like, like th- those are his, his going away lessons, which I, I guess I never really revisited. Um, but yeah, so, so I think I was just over-informed by a short-term stimuli at a young age, um, which, which then, you know, compounds on itself. What kind of godfather are you? <laughs> Man, that's a great question, dude. I um, I, th- 
I think I'm a really great godfather to my first goddaughter, and I'm a very mediocre godfather to my second goddaughter, and I'm a terrible godfather to my third goddaughter. Um, you know, like, I, 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 that is the honest assessment, right? Like, like Belen, who's the oldest, she is, she's my buddy, right? Like, I take her surfing. She's she's 23 now, 22, 23. We go surfing when she was 16. She was really into volleyball. So we'd go out and play pickup beach volleyball. Um, we got along amazingly. Gigi, my daughter's second child. Um, she's very, very introverted. So, so that, you know, like it's a hard, it's hard to relate for me. I try to, I try to give her as much space as possible and open up, open up that avenue for connection. And I'm, and I'm ready for her whenever, whenever she's ready for it. Um, I just don't think she really <laughs> cares. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and maybe, and maybe she is, uh, maybe at 15, 16, you know, I, I think it'll change, right. She's extraordinarily talented and, uh, and I really, really admire her and her courage and, and who she is as a, as a like fiery independent person. I, I really, I like, I really dig that piece. Um, she just doesn't think I'm funny. Right. So like, that's hard for me to, <laughs> she's hard for me to reconcile. And then, and then I have a third goddaughter. That is my, uh, my friend, Rob's daughter who, you know, he, he named me his, the godfather of his kid. And, and then he moved out of Miami and I moved out of, you know, like I've, and I, and I, and I try to like call her on her birthday and, and do stuff like that. And, and, you know, I think I got time, man, but, uh, I I'd say right now, as far as the grade with the first one, a plus with the second one, a C and with the third one, a, a D minus, you know, F maybe. Do you, do you think you have to like work it out <laughs> with this F and B? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, I do. I do. I, uh, Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would really like to, I'd really like to, I'd really like, I, so my godfather and my godmother are very special to me, right? Like my godfather is kind of like what I am to Rob's kid. It was my dad's best friend at the time. Who's still one of his best friends. And Domingo, he's still very much a part of my life. He's the fucking coolest guy. Like, like he's like super funny and affable and like, I love him and he's, and he's the best. And he, he'll send me like deep WhatsApp messages, like two to three times a year. Um, And, uh, and then my godmother is my mom's youngest sister. Who's my aunt, who is like the, just one of the most favorite people in like the entire family from anyone. Like if, if somebody got voted, you know, <laughs> most beloved in our family, it's her, she's amazing. So I want to be that figure, right? Like, and I, it's very easy for me to be like the cool uncle when I'm around. It's very hard for me to like make time to like show up and, and organize in a way that I can prioritize people that aren't in my immediate proximity. Um, so, so that's a challenge, right? Like that's a growth opportunity for me of, but, but that's endemic to like everything I do, right? Like the closer you are to me, the, the more you're going to like me because I, I'm here and I want to make you feel good. Right. Um, the further you are and whatever, like, I think you're going to have good memories of me. And by the time, the next time we engage, I'll make you feel good. But I have a really, really hard time kind of like, organizing myself around managing that energy for everybody else adequately. And I think most people and me for sure, we almost take for granted the folks that are, that are, that, that we have in our life that are for sure going to be the forever, right? Like your family, your best friend, like it's very easy to, to take the idea that they're going to be there for granted um, and then go prioritize that new relationship uh, because we want new experiences and we want things of that sort, right? Like I, I definitely, that's, 
that's something that I definitely need to work on. So um, as a because that is something I know I need to work on for sure with my goddaughters, I would I would love to work on that. How do you usually invest in the relationships? I, I'm not talking about a family, but like with your friends and folks. Yeah, um, you know that that that's really that's really changed for me in the last in the last like eight years or so, right? I I I went from being very like me centric to being other people centric, um, at like at a moment in time, right in my in my early 30s. So my investment in relationships used to be in like how entertaining I can be for them, right? Like how funny I can be or whatever. Um, and now it's And now it's really just like, how do I, how do I make them feel seen, heard, and recognized, right? So, I, I I tend to I tend to show up when you're having a hard time, right? Like like I'm I think kind of like my mom who's like prone to take on other people's problems. Like I I I definitely have that I definitely have that inside of me, and I know that I know that my superpower is that I'm like a cheerleader, right? So. So I think that I'm I'm good at when someone's going through a hard time, I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna like, like come on man, you got this and and like I'm I'm good at acknowledging like why you're why why you're special, right? Like I do think that my superpower is because I fall in love with everyone I meet, like I, and then I'm able to and I'm a good communicator, right? Like this idea of being a hype man um, to the person or or to the people around them about the person is my thing. So I've been leaning into that, right? So. Um, I, I I tend to invest in my relationships when I see that somebody needs it. And and then whenever they're around me, I'm just like, yeah, I'm trying to like hold the space and make and make people, you know, make people feel about themselves the way I feel about them. And that's about as far as I've probably thought it out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What family nickname do you have? Um I don't really have a family nickname outside of uh, something in my youth when I was uh, <laughs> I was grossy, <laughs> uh, just because I was you know like I'm like the youngest kid and children are gross and I was uh, I was really gross right <laughs> like I didn't I didn't like brushing my teeth I, uh, you know even 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 to this day even to this day like I'm I am I am I'm very comfortable in like uncomfortably. Uh, gross scenarios right like i lived in a fraternity house for three years i uh i worked in construction for for 10 years and i would use porta potties no problem right like i <laughs> so so as far as family nickname that's 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 about it man <laughs> i was going to ask how did it appear but you already told me yeah so what is what is the first memory of your childhood that comes to your mind right now Yeah. Oh man. Great question. So, so I, I really, my first memory that I really know that I have that isn't from like seeing a picture and then like telling myself that story is walking into preschool in the United States for the first time and not, and knowing that I was the only kid that didn't speak English. <laughs> and I, and I have this like out of body kind of like memory of myself hunched over with a backpack, holding a lunchbox and looking left and right. Uh, just an absolute terror. <laughs> that's that's my first memory. What was next on this first day at school? How how did it pass? Ah, 
you know, it's it's funny because I remember very clearly walking in, and then I don't remember much of anything else. I, I I know that I know that what ended up happening is that I met Jose Garrido, who who was the only kid that spoke Spanish, and uh, he became this very very significant relationship in my life for the next 14 years of that like childhood best friend that's like your brother that you grew up in their house and they grew up in your house and there was never a doubt like who's your best friend jose and jose knows i'm his best friend um and i think that i'm still in contact with jose and uh i'm seeing his kids now grow up but around our same age and it just like man i i that that idea of like who who is your best friend um as a kid to me is is so valuable and i i'd always ask kids that i'm always like when i i love talking to kids right like i'm always like i'm always like who's your best friend like tell me about your best friend right and it's like it's very clear to me when somebody has like a an exact best friend right uh and i and i think it's a i don't know i don't know i don't know why but i it was such a good relationship for me like we 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 became best friends at that age. Then I moved to Spain for five years and we kept up. And every time we had come back to Miami, we'd hang out and then, you know, came back to Miami. And then from like third grade on, I was just like sleeping, you know, he was an only child. Right. So like, and his mom always wanted to have other kids and I was like her second son. Um, so, so we were like brothers, man. Like we were just really, really like, I had that, I had that twin brother kind of like thing. Um, and, and, and that, just having that one other person in your life that you know you can count on is kind of this like rock and gravitational force that then allowed us to then be best friends with Eric Zamorano and Adrian Diaz, who were two best friends that then became it became us four and all these other dudes that ended up, you know, becoming our nucleus growing up. And uh, it's just really, really special. So, so yeah. So what happened next is I became friends with Jose within three months. Like I was like, you know, I, you're three years old. Like the language that I knew, I, I didn't really know. Right. So I learned English immediately. And like, I'm like, I got to like, I was by, by Christmas time, I was like in the school play talking in English, dressed up as like a little leopard and, and saying this poem. And, uh, and, and then right after that, we moved to Spain and I had to start over. <laughs> what, what kind of trouble did you have together with Jose? And we were really good kids. <laughs> No, no I, way. No way. Tell me about troubles. <laughs> well, t trouble between us or trouble like that we got into? That you got into. Man, I honestly, I didn't start getting into trouble till after kind of like Jose. till we went to separate high schools and I started like, I, I didn't like my high school. So I started looking for trouble um, as, as a way to do it. And I, you know, I, I never, I, I, I honestly, I was never... With Jose, we never, like, I was never in a troublesome situation. We were, like, the typical, like, American kids that you see in a movie that's just, like, our life revolves around how do we all go to, like, play baseball together and, and like, play with wrestling and G.I. Joe figures and stuff like that. Like, it was really just, like, idyllic. Um, and I, I really didn't start getting into trouble until I was, like, 15, 16. <laughs> okay, so what was the first trouble you've got after? Oh, man, um... So when I was in, in high school, I, you know, I went to this different high school and I didn't really want to go to it. Um, so, and when I got just, there, I just, thought- Just one second. Why didn't you want to go there? Because uh, all my friends were in another one, right? Like, I, like I was, it was, it was one of those moments. It was one of those moments where 
my I, th I feel like I've been real kind to my mom so I can I can also be like serious about it like it was one of those moments in my life where I feel like my mom wanted me to do something just because that's how she saw the world right like my brother and sister had both gone to Gulliver so I was always going to go to Gulliver and I went to a different elementary school and I went to a different middle school and then afterwards it was like you were always going to go to this like Gulliver you know Gulliver school right um just because and, um, and I, you know, I, I attribute a couple of other things to that. And, and that's kind of like, that's like my like mother wound, right? Like this idea of, you know, I'm, I'm always very triggered by people just like correcting me unnecessarily. And I think it comes from that. Um, so yeah, so, so, so went to, you know, enrolled in this high school up until then, every school that I had been in, like I rolled in deep and like, and I immediately had like a bunch of friends and you know, and whatnot. And this is the first time that I knew a bunch of kids that went to that school. But when I showed up first to the school, for whatever reason, that re the relationships that I thought I had just did not really give a shit about me. Right. Like, um, so I immediately went to like rebellion. Like I went as far into rebellion as I could. I was into like the skateboard and punk rock scene and, uh, trying to dress as ugly as I could and just piss my parents off as much as possible. And, um, and then the next version of that was the, you know, that was that fed my like rebellious soul, but it didn't feed my popularity soul. And uh, and and then the next thing was a couple of my friends started hanging out with like kids that were gang affiliated, um, you know, as and 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 I realized that that in Miami in the 90s, that was cool. Right. So like I started like leaning into like wanting to be like a little thug. And, um, and that's when I started getting in trouble. <laughs> uh, so man, I, I would say the most, the most, at one point, you know, like junior year of high school, my, my best friend had gotten jumped. So at the time, and, um, and then that caused me to like get in a fight with this kid in the school cafeteria. Cause he was like talking trash about it. And then that meant that we were going to go fight after school. So I was like, <laughs> I was beeping all my friends, right? Like I had, we had like a beeper code of like show up to a fight kind of thing. Right? <laughs> this is insane. And, um, and as a result, people started showing up to campus and security figured it out. And they're like, I get called into like the Dean's office. Like what's going on here, man? Like you have kids from other schools showing up. I was like, well, you know, this is happening. And at that point, the Dean made it real clear to me. She's like, listen, man, you are, you're an honor student. <laughs> you are vice president of your class. You're the head of our pep rallies and you are this close to getting kicked out of school. If you keep doing this shit, like you're, you're hanging out with the wrong kids. Um, so, so that was a big reality check for me. Uh, and, and then at that point, you know, at that point it was, I, that's when I was like, all right, I got to leave this stuff behind. Yeah. Your love for hip hop. Where is it from? I think it comes from that, like, uh, I want my parents to be mad at me wound, <laughs> you know, like, uh, it, it, I, man, it started, it's, it starts early on in Jose's mom's car, uh, listening to NWA and, uh, and when gangster rap just kind of like emerges and listening to somebody say, fuck the police and, you know, like, all you know, right. And you're like 10, 11 years old, you're like, ah! <laughs> right. Like, it's funny to you. And, um, 
and that's that's where it started right that's why i really love like old gangster rap uh even though it's not the best hip-hop and then and then it and then it i went through like a couple periods of my life where i was like into punk rock and metal when i was in that phase and then i went back into like the thuggish phase and at that point i was like oh hip-hop right and at that point in time it was outcast right like uh it was it was outcast had just come out with Aquemini, uh which was their third album and man i just once i found outcast it just never it never went back right so like at, at at that point that that music just really really moved me and i got to meet them like right there was um I used to like promote clubs in, uh, and you know, I grew up in Miami, right? So like, I was like Johnny South Beach promoter, and um, my buddy Patrick Oliver was, and I were, were doing this, uh, we're, we're promoting this club, and we had this DJ that was like the big headliner DJ, and he called us the day of, and he's like, "Hey man, I'm gonna be late," and we're like, "Oh shit," you know, uh, and he's like, "I've, I'm, I'm opening up for." I've got this like big gig opening up for a band in University of Miami that's coming to town. And I was like, oh, yeah, what's going on? They're like, oh, it's Outcast. I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. Can we come? So we got to, you know, we got to like go backstage and meet Andre and Big Boy. And, you know, it's one of those things like you meet a, you meet your hero early on and then it's over, right? Like you're fans forever and you have a good experience. And um, yeah, I think I, I think to answer your question more clearly, right? Like I... I have a, and my sister taught me this, right? Because it was really shocking to me that my sister, an English major, was like, oh, yeah, NWA, like I'm studying that. I'm like, what do you mean you're studying that? She's like, well, you know, punk rock and hip hop are kind of the two, are, are the two versions of I'm going to grow up to be my parents' biggest nightmare for, for two different cultures, right? And I'm like, oh, I never realized that. <laughs> Um, and so I think it really comes from that, right? Like I like, I like music with angst, right? I like music that reminds me of being a, of being a teenager, um, unhappy with the world for whatever reason. Right. So I still, I still listen to all that stuff. And I think growing up in Miami and in the nineties, when hip hop was becoming like, it was, it was the counterculture before it became the actual culture. I've always been attracted to the self-confidence, the the style and the swagger and the the you know the ability to speak, man. You know, like I've I've never considered myself a musician, but boy, I know I can talk. And I think being able to tell stories and rhyme and 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 make it cool and all this stuff is like the ultimate the ultimate unlock in communication. Have you ever been driving with your open windows in car and music bumping out loud oh yeah oh yeah are you kidding me man i grew up i grew up in the 90s when like vanilla ice was talking about doing that in miami he's like you know like so it was where i was happening right yeah for sure i do that i do that all the time man. and continue doing yes and and continue doing it and you know even even to that right like my last call track of where i do the the rapping and whatever came from came from that right like it came from me listening to Logic's uh, Young Sinatra album and listening to that last call track. And just, it was probably like the fifth time that I had listened to that track, just like playing it out loud, just really going for it. And I'm like, I want to do something like this, right? So yeah, I, I, uh, I often do that. Are you a morning person? Yes. Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, no, you're definitely the morning person. <laughs> Tell me about your morning routine. 
Um, I'm somebody that struggles with routine, right? But I do like to wake up early. And, uh, and right now, you know, my, my, my routine is on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I wake up at 4.30 a.m. And at 5.15, I'm running with who a guy who is one of my best, best friends right now, Greg Cohen. Um, I'm going for like a four and a half mile run with him right like where the beach is right so like if it's if it's summer and it's light enough out and it's low tide we'll run on the beach if not we're running around that neighborhood which is a beautiful neighborhood that you can't really see when it's that dark um and and that sets up my day nicely outside of that i'm trying to surf as many mornings as i can and i just even even when there isn't surf i'm trying to get there right because i think that watching the sun rise right like the I try to get there half an hour before the sunrise, right? Like what, what's called first light. Uh, I really, I really think that seeing that light does something for your circadian rhythm that starts your day off in the right way. Like it's whatever chemicals is like, I don't know. I don't know what the chemicals are, the cortisol levels or whatever it's called, but, um, but seeing that light and, and starting the day that way, I think sets it off really, really well. So my, my morning routine is something like, four or five days a week, I'm doing some kind of like outdoor exercise as the sun is coming up, whether it's surfing or running uh, or just going for a walk on the beach. And, um, and at my best right after that, I'm like in content mode, right? Like I'm like either doing some kind of like writing or I'm, or I'm recording something or, and I'm definitely listening to a podcast, um, you know, to and from and, and, and during all this time. Right. So like my morning is when I'm like trying to absorb all the, all the good things the past couple of days I've been, I have found these affirmations on, on Spotify by, uh, by Ray Lewis. He's a, a, I don't know if you know, American football, but he's like this, like super scary linebacker guy that like terrorized the NFL for a long time. And now he's, he's like this, like motivational kind of like dark preacher. Uh, and he's got these like affirmations of just like, my body's healthy. I'm gonna, blah, blah, yeah, you know, like I'm, I'm destined for greatness, and I'm like listening to that stuff, uh, and and I'm and I'm really leaning into that, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm leaning into this, like listening to inspirational stuff when I first re- listening or reading to inspirational stuff when I first wake up, and then going into learning mode and exercise mode after that. Once I saw that you made a video where people were climbing on the pillar that was at the Southfield Italian Festival. Yeah. What can make you climb on such kind of pillar? Uh, a great story to tell. <laughs> you know, like, uh, like I, I, you know, either, either the, basically exactly what those dudes were doing, either the feeling of camar- the, the combination of the feeling of camaraderie to accomplish something together and a great story to tell after will get me to do just about anything. I got it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you do. Uh, yeah, totally. Uh, do you like cooking? I love to cook, man. I love to cook. Yeah. Oh, who do you like cooking for? Who do you love cooking for? My wife, man. Well, first of all, I love cooking for just about anybody, right? Like I am, I am not short on ego and the and like wanting to like serve people. And whenever I really want to impress somebody, I want to cook for them. You know. Um, but I found. I have found my favorite, I have found that in my marriage, you know, in, in relationships and, you know, like marriage to me is like the ultimate, 
test of relationship, right? Like a person that you are not related to that you're going to plan all of your life around. The idea of setting a goal and working for it together and then enjoying the fruits of that of that work that you did together is a great, you know, creator of community and relationships. And to me, cooking with my wife is the ability to do that in a two hour span. Right. So like if, if we can both be in the kitchen and I'm prepping and she's cooking and we're both doing things, we make a delicious meal and then we enjoy it. It's a, it's a micro hit of that idea of like going through a journey together and being on the same page and then, and then being able to enjoy the fruits of the labor. When you are cooking together, you do it in silence or you have conversation all the, all the way? No, usually conversation, right? Like I, if I'm cooking by myself, I'm listening to a podcast or an audiobook. If I'm cooking with her, it's definitely just like talking and, 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 and getting to, you know, getting on the same wavelength kind of thing. How did you meet Martha? Oh man, great story. So I'm, uh, I got like 17 cousins, right? Cause my mom's the oldest of six and there's only two women in my entire generation, my sister and my cousin, Daniela. And My sister got married at 23 and she is seven years older than Daniela. And Daniela got married at like 29, right? So like in between the two female marriage weddings, right? Like of the generation, there was a lot of time. So they were like, both were like the event of a generation, right? So Daniela's getting married, 2011. I'm actually engaged at the time to, a, to an American woman. And fortunately... You know, like I, I realized like six months before the wedding, I realized that we're not really on the same page of like what we want out of life. And we're just kind of there for comfort, break off the engagement, which was terrifying. Um, and, and Daniela's wedding was like exactly six weeks after. Right. So like she was supposed to come with me. I have this like chip on my shoulder about how I'm not really Venezuelan because I grew up outside of the outside of Venezuela and like all my cousins are Venezuelan and even my brother and my sister are more Venezuelan than me because they went to school there so I'm just going there to like connect with family I'm not you know like I'm a recently single guy I'm not trying to get in a relationship or anything like that um and and Venezuelan what you know Latin American weddings in general are huge right like um there was a 32 person bridal party Right. So like 16 groomsmen and 16 uh, bridesmaids. And we're all getting we're all getting ready at my godmother's house. Daniela's mom, my godmother. And um, and I know that I I know that, I, you know, Daniela has had like all her friends from her youth. Like she's she's got like a group of like 10 friends that have been her best friends since she's two. Uh, and I know I've met them all, but I don't know any of them really. Right. And, uh, so I'm just like, oh, whatever, man, I'm just going to go in there with all my cousins and just be like drinking my bottle of like whiskey and hanging out. And, uh, as I'm doing it, Marta, my wife walks in and, uh, you know, she walks in with like a half shaved head and like a half mohawk. And I'm like, I don't know this girl. Right. Like I look over, I'm like, who is like, I'm like, who, what, you know, Trinity from the matrix just walked in. Who is she? And, uh, And immediately my cousin who I'm with, Gabriel, who's like the typical like Latino lover guy that's like a cartoon of of that, like looks at like Caesar and goes, hey, what's up? You want to drink? I'm like, oh, man, Gabriel. <laughs> and Marta, Marta had just, you know, she had all these spots, right? Venezuela is a collapsed society, right? Like even even back then, it was already pretty collapsed. Um, so 
and her dress wasn't ready to the last day, which meant that she had to like cross Caracas to go get it and then come back, which means there's a chance she doesn't show up to the wedding, <laughs> right? Like, um, so, so she gets there like right on like nick of time to like get ready and whatever. And she walks in just like sees that I'm holding a whiskey bottle. She was looking at it like a puppy looking at a, a starving puppy looking at a hamburger. And, um, and Gabriel notices it and brings it over. So she's like, yes, comes over with her friend Susana. We're talking in Spanish. And, uh, and at a certain point she makes a, that's what she said joke to Susana. And I'm like, oh my God, she just did a, that's American humor. Like I have a shot here, right? Like I, there's, I have, I have a chance. Um, so immediately I'm just like, all right, all right, I got a, I got a chance here. Right. So fast forward to like, we're on the bus on the way to the wedding, to the, to the, to the church. And we're all sitting in the back. And Marta sits like maybe four rows from the back. And at a certain point, she turns around. She goes, so who are the famous Miami cousins? And for me, you know, all my because Venezuela has degraded, all my cousins have left Venezuela. And there's like, you know, 10 of them living in Miami. But my whole life until this happened, it was just me. I'm the Miami cousin, right? So like I'm and I'm dying to talk to her. So I immediately stand up and I'm like, I'm the famous Miami cousin. And the whole bus is just like, oh. <laughs> so. So I'm like, tuck my tail between my legs. I walk over. I was like, hey. And I tell this story. I was like, listen, I'm, I'm used to being the Miami cousin. And I know that now I got like 10 of them here. And I, I just wanted to come talk to you. So I'm like talking to her. I sit down next to her. And I've got a green building consulting company at the time. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, you know, like, I'm, she's like, so what do you do? And I'm like, I'm like one of three green building experts in all of Miami. I'm still being a douchebag, right? So so she's like, she's like, oh, I'm one out of six lead APs in all of Venezuela. That's like the green building certification. I was like, oh, my God. Right. So I'm like, I got a shot here. So we go, we go, we go to the, the marriage happens at the church. We come back to the party. The party is epic, right? Like just like the most amazing party I've ever been to. The band is just like killing it, uh, playing everything from like classic wedding salsa to like Michael Jackson and queen covers and has like a full led screen behind it. And, um, and I'm like looking to like try to dance with her the whole time. And the first like couple of hours, she's like with her parents. I'm like, I'm not going to ask her to dance with her, with her parents. Then I look, see her again. She's talking to some dude. I'm like, God damn it. I lost my chance. She's so with some dude. Then I see her again. And she's talking to like an older couple that at this point I know it's not her parents. And I'm just like, I'm also listening because the, you know, Latin music is like merengue and salsa, right? Merengue is like a simple one, two step. Salsa is like a more complicated three step. I feel very confident dancing that stuff. But again, I'm, I'm in Venezuela. I have this like chip on my shoulder that I'm not. So I'm like, it's got to be merengue that I dance with her because I don't want to look stupid with sauce. You know, so like the, the stars align. She's talking to somebody that I know is not her parents. Merengue comes on the, uh, comes on and I walk up. I'm like, hey, what's up? How are you? Hey, do, do you want to dance? She's like, yeah, I'd love to dance. So we get to the dance floor. Immediately the merengue stops and they start playing salsa. And I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just like, listen, I'm American, you know, like, I'm like, um, she's like, don't worry, let's dance. So we start dancing. We're into it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm dancing as well as I've ever danced in my life. Song, 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 song. You know, like we, we dance for like an hour. We stop, we get drinks. Like at some point we're like two hours into, it. I'm like, Hey, listen, if I'm stopping you from anything else, she's like, no, no, I'm having a blast. This is great. So continues on. We drink like probably like a bottle of whiskey each at this point. Cause what Venezuelan weddings are like seven hours. And, um, and we're, you know, we're, we're in it. We're dancing. She gives me the eyes. Right. Like, and I go to, and I go to like, I'm like, I'm leaning in to kiss her. And immediately I see out of the corner of my eye, I see my grandmother 
I see my goddaughter and I see my mom <laughs> and I'm like, I stop, like I stop midway and I'm like, Hey, I, I would love to kiss you right now, but that's my grandmother. That's my mom. That's my goddaughter right there. It's like, I get it. I get it. I get it. We continue dancing. And then at one point, you know, the band like sprays, you know, like when they spray the, like the super thick fog, like stage effects, super thick thogs. At this point, I'm pretty drunk and I'm just like, nobody can see anything. And we just start making out. And then the fog clears and I'm like making out with her in front of my whole family. And, Long story short, man, she was uh, she had been living in Germany for five years. She had moved back to Venezuela to like reconnect a little bit and then go get a master's program, go get a master's in architecture. And we, you know, at, at that point, you know, like we dance all night. I come back a month later and visit her. And um, and then we make plans to see each other a couple of times. And in the meantime, I'm like, hey, you know, she's looking to go back to Munich or L.A. or New York. And I, and I like, I come up with the university of Miami masters in architecture pamphlet. And I'm like, Hey, listen, I've talked to this person, this person, they got masters from the university of Miami in architecture. Here's the, here's the information. She's like, Oh my God, to have a master's in urban design. Nobody has that. That's what I want to study applies to it. It's the first place she gets in. They give her a scholarship. And six months later, she's living in Miami and uh, the rest is history, man. Are you the same person with Martha as in public? I mean, do you have the same networker energy, etc., or are you different? Um, yeah, man. So one of the one of the things about meeting her when I did was this idea that I was just like, I just left an engagement. I'm not looking for a relationship. So I was just like, this is who I am, <laughs> right? Uh, I'm a, I'm a hundred percent. I'm a hundred percent myself around Martha, right? Like, uh, and I need to. I need to. I need to temper that energy sometimes because she's an introvert. So she gets drained by uh, extrovert energy. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm totally, totally, totally myself. You know, I have so many questions to ask. I just skip so many questions. You just cannot believe me. But And I wish to have the sky as the limit to our conversation, but the yeah. time is the limit. Let's go, so, let's go 10 more minutes, man. I got 10 minutes. I'm, this is awesome, dude. Wow very much for giving me this minutes okay so let me choose the juiciest the juiciest questions yeah. i can only imagine but it's so hard you know because i want to ask them all okay so you surf snowboard run mm -hmm. triathlons participate in spy ball tournaments dance hip-hop play tennis what more sports superpowers do you have uh, i wouldn't say i have sports superpowers at all right like um i uh, i love everything You do everything, you know. Listen, man, I, grow, I have no short twitch muscle fiber, right? Like I, I don't, I don't run fast. I don't, I don't jump high. I, I can't take a hit, right? Like I'm, I'm scared of contact. So at the, the old, but because of that, I grew up needing to be very extremely eye-hand coordinated and I'm super competitive, right? So like, as I, as I get older and all the guys that were better athletes than me growing up, they lose the thing that they were leaning on, which was their athletic ability. And I don't lose my eye-hand coordination or my competitive ability, right? So like I've become a great old guy athlete, <laughs> right? So, uh, <laughs> and, and, and that's about it, right? Like anything that's the smaller the court, the better, right? So like if it's, um, I'm not a great surfer by any means, right? Like I'm, I'm a pretty mediocre surfer. I just love doing it. Um, But no, I don't, I don't have surf soup. I, I don't have like sports superpower outside of the idea that I love, I love sports. Uh, and I'm, I am very eye hand coordinated and I'm very heady about how I, how I compete with stuff. because I've always had to, because I'm not a good athlete. 
But thanks I, for I making guess, me sound cool, man. I guess your love <laughs> to sports it, it is your superpower. So who do who okay, with who do you have a secret handshake? Oh man. I have a secret handshake with my niece Elisa. <laughs> the Bella, you know, my goddaughter's younger sister, my brother's second daughter. I have a I have a secret handshake with her. Tell me more about her. Where did this uh, how did you let's say agreed on it or like in general? So, so she is she is she's like my mom packaged up in a in a in a 21-year-old body you know combined with like my crazy kind of like energy and like social ability right like and so she's just always been this very energetic outgoing gregarious really emotionally intelligent cares about people um girl and man i love that right like i totally lean into that so like my you know and she loves to, and she's she's like super athletic right so like i take i love taking her surfing um and just one of those when i lived in miami surfing wasn't very easy right like i often would have to drive an hour to two hours to somewhere to surf and then drive home and i brought her on a bunch of them so like that was like wake up at five in the morning go get her and like go go surfing and i would literally just uh to get her up like where i would <laughs> Uh, she would, she would, she had a nickname squirt and I had a nickname crush and, um, and we would just like chant, like, we'd be like squirt and crush, squirt and crush, squirt, crush, squirt, crush, surf, ciao bella. And like, <laughs> so, so we just kind of, we just kind of developed it, uh, in those like surfer trips <laughs> early in the morning, trying to, trying to, trying to wake up, man. So, you know, <laughs> that's it. Is she her surfing teacher? Is what? Am I? Yeah. Is she her? Is she your surfing teacher? Nah, nah, man. My uh, my surfing teachers. My first surfing teacher was my cousin Juancho, then my buddy Dan, and then my buddy Justin. Like those have been like the three great like surf mentors I've had in my life. And who you are a teacher to now? Uh Belen, Elisa, right? Like my two my two goddaughters for sure. Um. I try to I try to teach anybody that wants to learn to surf to surf, right? Like it's a it's a hard sport to get into, um, for a couple of reasons. One, it's really intimidating because you're never out there by your, like when the waves are good to like learn to surf. It's crowded, right? Like because because people are there. It doesn't happen often. Like you got to live you you got to live somewhere where. You know, the idea of having to drive an hour and a half for two hours to surf makes it so that I was surfing like 10 to 12 days a year. And I never got to like, I didn't progress very much now that I live here and I surf 100 days a year. I've been able to really progress. So you have to have this like unique combination of like exposure to it, um, ability to like look and feel really stupid uh, often for a long time and, and and get the reps in it, man. So uh I try, I try, I try to like, I, uh, people are always like, man, I want to learn to surf. I'm like, yeah, cool, dude. Like you just gotta, I gotta be able to text you at 8 PM one night. And then you got to get up at five 30 in the morning the next day and come with me and like be scared. So very few people take me up on it, man. 
yeah, I understand you. Uh, have you have you ever been afraid of making mistakes? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I um dealing dealing embracing discomfort and embracing uh, mistakes is something that I've had to teach myself in the last 10 years, right? Like the, the mama's boy thing, uh, that's real, right? Like I, I grew up just very much motivated by comfort and, and motivated by this is the sure path that you can take to do this. And it was never really my path, but every time I tried to veer into some kind of like growth mode, I would, I would always get yanked back right by the, by the gravitational pull of my family. And it wasn't until kind of like late 2017 when I was really going to leave the construction career and take this, take this leap into, into tech and entrepreneurship and, and prove this thesis of community creation for business development outside of just like what I had stumbled into in Miami, um, that I was looking to make this move. And it was the first time that I was going to go against my dad's best advice. And, uh, and I was having a really hard time explaining it to him. And lucky for me, I found uh, Gary V during that time. And, and Gary at that point said something, I was listening to his podcast every day. And he, and he started saying, he started on this like speaking point about like, when you're trying to grow, growth by definition has discomfort in it, right? Like it has like these scary moments and like it's, it, and, it, and it has uncomfortableness. The people that love you the most are motivated by you being comfortable and seeing you do well. So when you're in growth mode and you're trying to, you, you, you see, you feel something else out there for you and you really want to achieve something, you're in direct opposition with the priorities of some of the people that will love you the most. And you got to understand that and you got to have empathy towards that. And that's when it really landed for me, this idea that my parents and my family, they've always wanted what's best for me. Um, and to them, what's best for me is, is seeing me like comfortable and happy Uh, and they always kind of like de-incentivized. They always kind of like villainized discomfort, growth, these types of things. And I had to, I had to be comfortable with disappointing them, right? In order to, in order to, uh, in order to become the person that I think I can be. So, you know, to me, the 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 fear of like failure comes from a deep needed, from like a deep desire to like make my family happy and, and prove that all this like wonderful upbringing I had for myself, you know, that I, that I was blessed with, you know, these parents and this brother and sister and this economic uh, kind of environment that I deserved it. So it took me, it took me like a year of therapy, bro, <laughs> to, to like, to, to, to just uncover this idea that I had a lack of self-worth, which nobody would have ever believed because I'm such like a, this guy, right? Like um, to, to just uncover that piece. And once I uncovered that piece, I've, I've been able to like, work on it and I'm still working on it. How do you rest? Uh, I pass out, bro. <laughs> um, I listen today, today I was going to wake up early and go surfing and I ended up sleeping till like eight 30 in the morning. Um, I think I, I, I kind of, I go to, I, I, I go to like the point where I'm just like utterly exhausted. And then my body asks me to rest. I don't know how healthy that is, but it's what I do. So the best rest for you is sleep. Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Because if I'm if I'm if I'm awake, I'm driven to do activity, right? Like I'm. I don't. 
you know, I'm, I've got this like need to be doing stuff. So, so yeah, I would say like total sleep is, is, is the rest and I'm not a great sleeper. Um, so <laughs> I need a lot of time in order to get the, the hours in. Yeah. Uh, and here's the final question before the rapid fire questions. So how do you celebrate your wins? Ah, with people, man. I, uh, I, I, I celebrate, I celebrate my wins by like affording myself the, uh, the luxury of like getting people together and like spending time with them and, and talking about it. Right. It, it was, it was easy. It was easy question. So easy question. Let, let's go to, to the hardest question, like right. rapid fire questions. So, uh, sunrise or sunset sunrise whiskey or beer whiskey. What are your favorite color and song? Uh, my favorite song is uh, Outcast Atelians. And my favorite color is the blue of the ocean when you're like driving down to the Florida Keys. There's this like really kind of like crazy shade of like light blue that's like almost electric and sun-kissed man like i like something about like that you know light ocean blue uh with a, with like with like the sun hitting on it is is my favorite color you know i can feel it a little but i guess i need a photo from you so when you have a time just All right, i'll send, send you a photo. a photo i will i got you i got your telegram now i'm gonna send you a photo <laughs> Yeah, that's why that's what I'm talking about. That's good. Okay, if you if you were a superhero, uh, what superpower would you have? Uh, uh, tele, uh, being able to being able to like teleport. I would love to. I would love to be able to be exactly where I want to be the moment I would without any kind of like friction of time to get there. Oh, name please two people whose community life journey you are happy to hear about. Uh, Gary V. And um, I mean, are these people that you're going to have a shot at getting on your show? Most likely, most likely. Who Bla knows? Blake Etheridge and Jenny Weigel. Cool. I know both of them, so it's it, it make it, it make it easier for sure. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, for much. sure. And uh, is there one question that I definitely should have asked you but didn't? Man, you asked me so many great questions, dude. Um, I guess I, I guess one of the things that I that I like people to to that I like to talk about is just the the importance of of networking and how creating relationships is a way to diversify yourself right like i see it as i see it as like an investment of the most valuable asset that you have right like you're t like no nobody will argue that relationships and time are more valuable than money right yet we take for granted this idea that when you're investing your money, like it, you got to diversify it. And there's all these, like, there's all these kind of like thoughts of like how you build a portfolio and how you de-risk it and blah, 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 blah. I would love for people to think of their relationships and their time the same way, right? Like this idea that if you can figure out a way to 
build more and different relationships and nurture the relationships that you have while minimizing, you know, like while maximizing the time to do it. I think that that is the major unlock that I have been working on for a really, really long time, which is why I believe so much in content creation and I believe so much in podcasting and I believe so much in podcasting in the way that is a live show where you can build a relationship with the person that you're talking to while also building a relationship with people that can be a part of that conversation and then distributing that thing. You know, it was amazing. When when I first listened to your show, it was like, no way, you're talking to people. No way, no way. You know, it was like so crazy for me when I went into this world of podcasting. So everyone just recording such as we're doing, but uh, talking to people is like, you know, one more, like one step forward. And from your experience, is it hard to maintain all those relationships? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's hard, man. I, um, You know, I, it is, it, it's hard, but nothing, you know, this is how it's really cheesy, right? But like nothing good is easy, right? Like nothing special is easy, right? So I think it's hard and I think it's the number one thing that I want to devote my effort to. So, you know, it is what it is. Like, I, I don't think that there's anything more foundationally healthy and prosperous for you than to devote headspace, energy, and, uh, and time towards growing, nurturing, and maintaining great relationships. If there is one super small step which everyone can do every day just to become a, a super networker, what, what would it be? Uh, introduce yourself to somebody that you don't know. Every day. Right, like, yeah. Like, I, I, I got my, my buddy Gareth Beverly. He's doing it. Like, he's texting me all the time now, right? Like, this idea is like, Dude, I was at a coffee shop and I said hi to the guy behind me and I started a conversation. I was in the airport and like talked talk to the person next to me, right? Like to me, it's reps, right? Like anything that you're going to get good at is, is is repetition, right? So like whether it's introducing yourself to somebody in a, in a physical space or introducing yourself to someone online, right? Like the idea that you liked something on my LinkedIn. So I immediately send you like a connection because like, hey man, I saw that you like that dude. I'd love to kind of find out who you are and look where we are now, man. You know, like, so introduce yourself to people and, uh, and understand that, you know, let go of that bag of feeling like you are intruding in their life because people will be very quick to be like, Hey, not for me. But most of the time they will be like, thank you so much. This is great. Right? Like people welcome that. And just like that, thank you so much. It was, it was breathtaking conversation because you know at some point when you told told me a story, I was like really out of words, out of breath. So thank you very much for this amazing experience and for letting me to get to know you better. And I really have. A lot of questions about your family, about Martha, about surfing, about everything. And just get ready for the volume two. So once upon a time. <laughs> I'm, we'll I'm looking forward meet. to that. Listen, listen, first of all, well, that's going to be volume three, because volume two is going to be me asking you a bunch of questions, man. Like I like I feel super selfish that like I, I'm very, very curious about you and who you are. And I just want to say real quick, if you'll allow me to that, if you are listening to this right if you have listened to yuri's podcast in the past and you've enjoyed this conversations or other ones like yuri is putting himself out there right like he is 
connecting with people and getting these stories and and really pouring his heart into it. So I just would ask you, friend, who just hung out with us for an hour and a half to go into whatever the podcast app is and just give it a quick review or just hit five stars. And if you really want to be a cool person and you really want to be awesome, like forward it to somebody, right? Or post it on your LinkedIn or your Facebook or whatever to uh, to give Yuri some. Oh, and and like DM him, right? Like DM him and tell him that you listen, right? Like give him some positive feedback so that he gets to feel the love right back. Like he just, you know, made makes other people feel by holding the space and asking such great questions. Thank you very much. I'm I, I really appreciate it. And Thank you so much for the precious resource you just only have. It's your time. So, yeah, thank you very much. And I believe we will uh, meet you at volume two and definitely at volume three. So see you later and ciao. Thank you, man. <laughs>